Welcome to HP Lovecast Presents Fragments, our auxiliary monthly podcast. In each episode, we will present a discussion of a story as an addendum to our HP Lovecast or a discussion of an independently selected story. We may also interview creators, such as writers and artists in the horror and or horror fantasy genres. I am Michelle Brittany, editor of the Bram Stoker-nominated Horror in Space and the book review editor at the Journal of Graphic Novels and Comics. I write on all things pop culture with a special emphasis on the horror and spy genres. And I am Nicholas Dyack, pop culture scholar of Peplum Films, industrial music, horror studies, and the editor of The New Peplum from McFarland. Michelle and I also co-edited Horror Literature from Gothic to Postmodern, also from McFarland. This episode's intro and outro excerpt is from Attack the Barbarian, a Streets of Rage cover performed by Lance Kaur. The song has a great high-octane feel to it, which complements the novella Eight Cylinders by Jason Parent, who is this episode's interviewee. Jason Parent is an author of horror, thrillers, mysteries, science fiction, and dark humor. Many of his novels, novellas, and short stories blur the boundaries between these genres. His first novel is What Hides Within, and his police procedural supernatural thriller, Seen Evil, has been widely applauded. His work has been compared to some of his personal favorite authors, such as Chuck Palahniuk, Jack Ketchum, Tess Gertsen, and Joe Hill. Welcome, Jason. Uh, we... Uh, interview in two parts. So we're going to start with your background and your writing journey. With that, could you tell us what got you into writing and how and when you started out? Well, um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time, like probably most writers, you know, daydreaming <laughs> my, my days away, exploring worlds entirely in my, uh, created in my own often ridiculous mind. Uh, everyone has their ups and downs, so as you could probably imagine, sometimes those places were a lot better than the real world. So when I started writing, like really writing, it was a means for introspection to work out the conflicts I faced in life through the through dialogue and actions of these fictional characters and fictional representations. Which isn't to say that my life has been hard or anything. I'm I'm not you know saying woe is me. <laughs> I just learned a coping mechanism that worked for me that that was also something that I really enjoyed doing. So uh, I kind of blew up into a writing career from there. Uh, do you remember the first story you wrote? And do you still have it? Uh, the first story I wrote was a fantasy in middle school, which was absolutely terrible and if it ever showed up anywhere I would hope that it would be burned and an <laughs> <laughs> effigy or they could put pictures with me of me with it and burn those photos too I would not be angry because I should <laughs> again I try when I really tried to write started writing in earnest it was also a, a sword and sword and uh, sorcery kind of fantasy and it was absolutely terrible uh, I tried to be creative, come up with new race, like races and, and creatures. And oh God, I, again, if, if I have that somewhere and I'm going to have to burn it before I die. So no one ever finds it. <laughs> <laughs> well, just out of curiosity, what drew you to the sword and sorcery genre? Is it kind well, of a post-Tolkien thing for you? Pretty much. Yeah. I, I, Tolkien is, is one of my favorites. I still love uh, reading fantasy. I love uh, Michael Sullivan's one of my uh, go-to authors. Um, I have Patrick Rothbus sitting there waiting to be read. And I've heard so many great, great things, but I, but I heard he hasn't finished the series. And I don't want to get into another uh, a song of win, well, whatever Game of Thrones is really called, <laughs> <laughs> which I did read all the way and still waiting for that sixth book. <laughs> Uh, hopefully it has a different ending than the series, but we'll see. <laughs> I, I'm right there with you, Jason. Um, I was very excited about uh, Martin's series. I read through it and then I was like, what? It's not finished. And, you know, that's a, quite an investment. 
And I don't blame you for waiting on Patrick Rustless. Um, I've read the, the first two books, waiting for the third one, and um, kind of frustrated that, that the third one hasn't come out yet. So there, there's a solution to this. Don't get into these big authors whose books are this thick. Instead, go back to like the 60s and 70s where you had Lynn Carter writing books that are like, yay, you know, almost two-dimensionally thick. <laughs> that way you can't get disappointed. You're like, oh, it's a barbarian in space and it delivers exactly what it needs to deliver and it has an ending. That's true. Yeah, I'm thinking about moving into the Dresden Files myself. <laughs> At least there's a lot of them to keep me busy. Uh, I do like series, so I, I read all the Mickey Haller books by Michael Connolly, so that may lead to Bosch. I, I read very much outside of horror, too, so uh, yeah. Whatever floats my boat at the given time is what I'm going to read, I guess. <laughs> well, that makes sense. And, you know, it's, it's very important to, you know, be well-read and, and reading through the various genres. And, and I think that's in, uh, very significant, particularly in your case, um, because you do write in many genres. Um, is there a genre or narrative format that you would like to explore that you haven't written in before? Yes. <laughs> I did think there were certain genre, genres I wouldn't write in. For example, uh, romance and after my bad experiences with fantasy of the sword and sorcery type, that. Uh, but I mean, j just the other day, I found myself writing kind of this romance mystery blend. <laughs> whether, whether I continue it is up in the air, uh, though I probably will just to see if I can. You know, I like to challenge myself. I like to do new things. Uh, but I can tell you one thing, if, if I write a romance, it'd be more like uh, Romeo and Juliet variety than the Hallmark Christmas movie type. Yeah. But if, but if Hallmark ever wanted to make a movie out of it, I'm, I'm sure I'd probably sell out. <laughs> <laughs> well, in regards to your writing, what, what do you think is like your auteur element? You know, what's that distinctive uh, Jason Parent thing that you think sets your writing apart from others? Well, that's, I guess my voice. I mean, this has really been my problem as a writer. Uh, like my scattered mind, my writing is kind of all over the place. So it's kind of hard to build a following if, you know, one book is this really dark psychological horror and the next one is uh, kind of a campy crime thriller. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to be known as the Lovecraftian guy or the horror humor guy or dark thriller writer or anything like that when I'm writing in all those genres and perhaps worse, mixing them constantly. Uh, so I've been asked that question kind of a few times and, and uh, all I can really say is that everything I write kind of has dark horror, horror elements to it. If there isn't an outright dark humor in it, uh, my longer works will probably have an element of dry or devilish, sarcastic kind of tongue-in-cheek humor, you know, generally encouraging readers to delight in a particularly gruesome death, whether it's well-deserved or not. So I, I kind of try to cater to the people that might root for the villains. So if you think about watching movies, uh, who, who watches Jurassic Park for anything but the dinosaurs eating people or stepping on people? Those are the best parts. That's what I want people to enjoy in my books, too. <laughs> so through, you know, you know, you've experimented with sword and sorcery, you've experimented with other uh, genres. Um, what have you kind of learned over the years that's like helped you hone your craft? I mean, what, what's something that you've kind of picked up for yourself? Oh, I think writing in different genres is, is key to my improvement. So I know every horror author will tell you horror is always about uh, human emotion. It's about the full breadth of human emotion. And that's true. But also, I think writing in other genres, you just expose yourself to a wide variety of circumstances, uh, different human emotions and different scenarios that you can then draw from in your future, even going back to the genre and, and, and writing back in horror, you can draw, for, draw from that to make your characters more three-dimensional. So I think uh, for me, it's key to my improvement. It might not be you know, something that other writers need and I don't push that on anybody, but uh, I, I hope to continue improving and grow. So that's what I do. <laughs> well, I think uh, your 
way of blending genres, I think works well, um, particularly in, in eight cylinders, which we'll get to in a few minutes. Um, and definitely the dark humor comes out, uh, but you do a very nice job of picking out, um, Picking the, out things from people's eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, just picking the elements that really congeal together and, and become a cohesive new genre. Um, is there, um, I guess, is there a blending of genres that you haven't tried that you would like to? Yes. Uh, it's kind of scary for me because I, I, I would want to do like a historical horror mystery. Um, I've done a horror mystery. My first novel, White Highs with Within, is a horror mystery. I've done historical horror with my novella, Rathbone, which basically follows the true life of Major Henry Rathbone, who went to Ford's Theater on the night of Andrew Lincoln's assassination. And his life, in, in fact, was horrific. I added a supernatural element to it. But, uh, but the facts and the scenarios in that are actually real events that happened to Henry Rathbone after that, that night. But what I want to do is something like a uh, Robert McCammon's uh, Matthew Corbett series. I don't know if you've, you've read that, but they are, that, that is my number one absolute favorite series. And he blends every genre imaginable in different books though. So one book would be like uh, Mr. Slaughter's third one is probably the closest to a horror dark thriller. Well, you have this, this kind of Pope almost, uh, Ian Fleming's uh, Spectre kind of elements to some of the other vet books. Um, it, it, but he, it, it all follows this private detective. He's not called that, uh, but he's basically the America's first PI in the colonies. Uh, and, the, and it's just completely brilliant, completely well-written and, and caters to somebody that likes a wide variety of different, different styles and genres. Mm -hmm. uh, but but the, the research that he must do for that is overwhelming. <laughs> and I would say it would take me years and years to write something like that because I, I don't want to be the guy that puts a, a, you know, a, a Timex wristwatch in, you know, 1740 or something. <laughs> you know, I want to make sure everything works, the language is right, and, and it's, it's all correct. You know what, though? You could get away with it, I think. There's that Criterion film that was directed by Alex Cox. I think it's just called Walker or something. It's got Ed Harris. But, like, it's a, it's a historic piece. It's a Western. But he drives around in a car. Oh, He's got yeah. a Zippo lighter. But it's, like, totally in the 1800s. If, if Alex Cox can get away with it, Jason Parent can get away with it. I think I might, right. have, to see, I don't, I might have to watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Ed Harris is brilliant enough to watch it alone, I would say. <laughs> oh, definitely. Um, and I, I, I actually have a couple of your books on my uh, wish list because they just sound so interesting. Your historical one, uh, when I was reading through some of your, your different uh, book synopsises, I'm like, oh, I got to put that on my list because I, I love history. And of course, um, the Lincoln... Um, era is just utterly fascinating. So um, I think that that'll be a, a great read. Well, before we move on to uh, eight cylinders, I think our final question is, we, we'd already kind of touched on it. You did advised, you know, definitely writing in other genres, but any other kind of advice or tips that you'd want to give out there to, you know, be, uh, writers beginning in their craft or, you know, folks have been at it for a while, but, you know, just, you know, any other kind of sage-like advice you'd want to impart? Well, I don't know if anything coming from me is sagely, but <laughs> uh, sure. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm repeating what other writers have said a thousand times, but it, it's because it's true. You should write because you want to write and you should write whatever you, you want to write and to do it and do it in the best of your ability. If someone finds value in it, even if it's just yourself, then I think you've succeeded. I'm not one to say you're not a writer because you haven't been published. Uh, some of the, probably some of the best writers out there haven't been published. Uh, like me and like many writers, they probably did it as a way of, of, of working through things or, 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 you know, they wrote for themselves first. 
uh, there'll always be people who genuinely don't like it. And then, and hopefully a smaller, much smaller segment that just want to kick people when they're down, you know, that's the world. That's reality. Uh, I've always thought though, if one person connects to my work, uh, find some kind of value in it or some joy in reading it, then I've had a, I've had a success. Well, on, that we should do it. well, on the subject of successful works, let's talk about eight cylinders because I think this is a very successful book. It accomplishes exactly what it needs to accomplish, but why don't you tell us about it? Tell us, give us the, well, as we learned from Nick Mamatos, there's an elevator pitches for books. There are form submissions, but go ahead. Tell, tell us uh, what your equivalent of the elevator pitch for eight cylinders is. Sell it to us. Well, uh, I'm the worst person at selling myself. I'm actually better <laughs> at selling <laughs> others. Uh, but I, I think um, the blurbs for the book really nailed it. And, and I want to give a sincere thank you to Lee Murray, James Chambers, and Rex Hurst, all of whom incredibly talented authors. Works Their works are inspirations to me. But essentially, eight cylinders, is a, it's a high-octane, balls-to-the-wall action horror in the vein of a Mad Max and Death Race meets... I don't know, Mothra <laughs> or, or some, kind of, <laughs> some kind of kaiju monster. Um, as, as, as you noted in your review, in your review of the work, and I, I agree, uh, is this Lovecraftian horror? No. <laughs> Does it have a few Lovecraftian elements? Yes. Uh, but I think mainly it's an action adventure tale that, that should be a fun, fast read uh, for everybody. Uh, good, good mention of Death Race. I totally forgot about that. Th throw another one on the pile because th this story, you know, it just it taps into the cinematic imagery of a lot of great A films, exploitation films. It it's a nice little, I'm going to say, cultural stew of coolness. I, yeah, I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. So what's the catalyst? What, what brought the story about? Unlike all my other stories... This is one that I actually pulled from a dream. I know people uh, say that, that that they do that all the time. I've, I never, I've never done that before. <laughs> I've had dreams, but I've never written stories based on them. But my story, and you might have liked this better, I apologize. My, my dream was very Lovecraftian. It was in like this derelict Las Vegas, post-apocalyptic, and this unknowable creature was like shooting, kind of like those black things that were shooting out uh, from the caves and, and tagging the cars in, in my book, but they were tagging people and just ripping them into nowhere. And this, but people were on foot. So I'm like, okay, that's slow, very atmospheric. Um, people creeping through a suspenseful post-apocalyptic city, maybe like an I Am Legend vibe, I want to say. Um, and I might go that route somewhere. People don't steal it from me now that I said it. <laughs> but but, uh, but then at one point, at the very end, a car gets by, uh, goes by, like, well, that, that would make this a lot more, you know, a lot faster paced and a lot more action-packed. Um, the car didn't make it in my dream. And and I suppose neither did I, but I didn't get to the point where I got picked off. But <laughs> but you would, I think you would have, uh, you would enjoyed that story too. Had <laughs> all the different bloom of, of Lovecraft. <laughs> As you said, you know, there's nothing stopping you from taking, you know, the other shards of that dream and spinning them out into other stories, be it short stories, novellas, or novel form. I think you got some juicy stuff there. I, I myself have always been drawn to like the Vegas setting, even though I've only been to Vegas once, but I like seeing Vegas. And maybe, I mean, you could probably see me right now. I'm wearing a tiki shirt. You know, I like that retro modernism. There's that kind of myth of Vegas where anything goes and seeing that juxtaposed against horror or noir or mm -hmm. something behind the scenes is always interesting. There's something very you know, there's always that unseen hand of Hunter S. Thompson just over uh, Vegas. I think that just something strange and otherworldly will always happen. And uh, I, tap, tap into that, dude, because I'm not the only one who feels that way. People love Vegas settings and doing something with it. Mm -hmm. Well, I think even just being in Vegas, there's that fear and loathing. Uh, you could definitely see a, a whole underbelly just right there in front of you like 
there's a dark side to Vegas that is just just very shallowly below the surface, uh, even in the broadest of daylight. So it's it's there's a fascination for darkness there. I think. <laughs> I should point out that the one time that we went to Vegas, it was, we went to StokerCon, the very first StokerCon back in 2016. And we drove there from LA and it took us, you know, a million hours because we stopped at every tourist trap possible. But the night of the Stokers, we didn't even go to the Stokers. We went a mile down the road to go see Evil Dead, the musical. I saw so, that. It was great. <laughs> Dude, what the F the, is that song? Was, <laughs> it was perfect. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm so happy that, you know, we were away from the stage because I didn't realize it was a Gallagher type show and that the first couple tables were going to get purposely drenched in blood. Yeah, um, anything Evil Dead would rope me in in a second, so. <laughs> it is a, a very fast paced uh, tale, but were there themes that you wanted to explore in this story? That's a tough one without giving too much away. <laughs> but yeah, um, basically, hopefully that, you know, the decisions we make have consequences and continue to have consequences wherever, whenever, and however we may be. <laughs> uh, there are fates worse than death that may be within our power to control, you know, the whole fate versus free will thing. So there, yeah, there is some Christian elements to this. And, and like, well, I, wanna, I don't want to speak for you. I, I'm not overtly religious or even, um, well, I'm not even religious. I'll, I'll just say that. <laughs> but I do love Christian horror. I, I like the elements of it. I, I, I think well, just the depictions, the many great depictions of hell. And and I would say what dreams may come may be my, my favorite. Um, it's just a, a just a very wildly imaginative concept that you can do so much with. I I have the strong suspicion that you really like the Arnold Schwarzenegger film End of Days. I loved End of Days. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I also like Kevin Pollock though. So <laughs> anybody usual suspects is good. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, all of a sudden, I just want to quote the, uh, the the lineup scene, but we'd have to bleep like that entire yeah. sentence. So we're yeah. trying to keep this one a little PG. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So while riding eight cylinders, what were some of the challenges that you faced? Cars. I mean, everybody that's read this thinks I'm some kind of car fanatic. <laughs> I know nothing about cars. <laughs> I don't like cars. Uh, I, I mean... There are a few cars. So Sly's car is my ideal car. If I could, if I could get a classic car, it would be that. But I had to do tons of research into a Hellcat. I didn't know anything about it. it just seemed like the, the perfect car for a, a modern day fast, overpowered, over, over horsepowered kind of vehicle to really race through the scene. These scenes, but. Yeah, every vehicle in there had to be researched. <laughs> Let me put it that way. It, it fooled us because I, I really thought this was car porn. Yeah. Yeah, you did a great job, uh, Jason, researching and, you know, the scene where you kind of, you know, talk through the various vehicles um, didn't sound like you were trying to drop a, I don't know, you know, kind of a forced drop facts or anything like that. I really, I, I would agree with Nick that it, it seemed like car porn. I think a review of this novella needs to appear, you know, when you're at the grocery store and there's the line of magazine racks and they've got the section of like tattooed women and hot rods. Or car and driver. Yeah. Right? This, that, <laughs> I, I think, uh, I think we need to get a review into those magazines. And so, so that the car enthusiasts will read and go, Oh yeah, I'm down with this. Yep. Yeah, if it brings them to the horror genre, that would be nice. <laughs> no Good kidding. Problem. I, I'm, I'm hoping Dodge sees it and makes a commercial. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That would be so great. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, who, whoever's the CEO of Dodge needs to read this book. <laughs> I, I, I can see the ad, you know, the, the cars is driving down super fast and just wall of tentacles going right after it. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Volkswagen gets taken out. The Audi gets taken out or something, but the Hellcat beats, you know, goes through the dust and beats everybody. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I, I love it. Yeah, that has to happen. 
Jason, uh, since you did touch on the concept of uh, decisions have consequences, fate versus free will, did any of your characters' actions surprise you as you were writing eight cylinders? No, until you pointed it out in your review, <laughs> which is barely a failing of mine with the eyeball and following the eyeball. Uh, so, set, so my idea when I was writing it, and and it was that Seb was, you know, following the eyeball as a quirky, just kind of comedic, not serious about it. But as he lost more blood and became more delusional, then it was supposed to inspire the sense that maybe there's more at play and fate's kind of taken over. Uh, I hear you. I, I apparently apparently missed the missed the the boat on that one. So missed the mark on that one so but that was the idea (laughs) (laughs) i think it's still a funny scene i i think you know that's something like a john carpenter scene like in big trouble little china you know plucking the eyeball out and kind of consulting it in a joking way to get out of a predicament yeah well yeah exactly that's you're nailing it because that's the characters that i draw on snake blitzkin uh (laughs) definitely uh some big trouble (laughs) Uh, in Little Chattas, that's I've probably seen that movie over a hundred times. So to say it hasn't had influence on me would be crazy. <laughs> it, it's a fun one. When it comes to the Carpenter films, M- Michelle is Camp Fog. I'm Camp oh, yeah. Escape from New York. Oh, I, I would put two. I would put Big Trouble in China and the Thing above both of those. <laughs> I, I love all of them, but there's just something about Escape from New York. Uh, this, I, it's, it's Snake Plissken. It, it's it's the character. It's, it's the tight <laughs> jeans tucked into the boots. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'll the mullet. <laughs> <laughs> so, eight cylinders. What do you think you're very proud of? What element of the book you are you you're really either proud of or like? Oh my God, I wrote that. That is snap awesome uh high watermark you know what, what's what's the high mark of your book uh i'm gonna say the whole book and i know that sounds like a cop-out only because and then this is the element um it is exactly for the first time i think exactly what i set out to write um i wanted a fun fast action pay uh, you know action packed kind of horror adventure and I think not to pat myself on the back I think I nailed it <laughs> so um I don't I don't have that feeling when I'm done with most other stories and, and usually they go off in different directions and become something I never intended but this for once is exactly what I intended <laughs> well and I I think you 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 truly delivered it and as you said you know you did really nail exactly what you were setting out to do. Uh, it really is a fun read. It's very action. It's, it's nonstop, you know, uh, pedal to the metal type of story. And it, it really is a and, lot of fun. And an outsider looking in, you know, as soon as I saw the, the cover art appear on Twitter from Crystal Lake, you know, immediate, I mean, the cover says exactly what the book is about. <laughs> Yeah. And it, it uh, immediately drawn in. I'm, I'm not even a car guy. I'm, you know, I'm the Lovecraftian guy. So the tentacles going after the car, you know, grab my attention. But, you know, whatever you set out to do, you're successful in that. You're also successful at at least, you know, through grabbing the blurbs of Lee Murray and um, James Chambers, who are who are both awesome individuals. Mm-hmm. Cover art, uh, this, this succinct package of it all is enough to say, yeah, I want to read that. Yeah. Um, and no, no disappointment at all. It, it's a, it's, it's a great, yeah, you're totally successful. Yeah. I, I love the cover. Bed Baldwin nailed it. Um, Crystal Lake put together a great package. I, I could be happier. Just out of curiosity, Jason, did you get to have any input into the cover art? Did they show you ahead of time and uh, you know, ask for your feedback at all. I, I'm not sure how that works with book covers. Absolutely. Um, uh, I've worked with a lot of small presses. Uh, my first book, What Eyes Within, came out with this absolutely dreadful cover. <laughs> um, so ever since then, I've actually 
negotiated that uh, I, not that you know the publisher has an ultimate call on on covers but i've negotiated that i at least have some input mm-hmm. uh, most of them give that to you anyway uh crystal lake worked with me right away they asked me what what i thought would be good ideas for the cover and that was my idea for the cover what you see but mm-hmm. i didn't know that ben baldwin would translate it so perfectly so uh so so the, like the first so when he came back with the cover, it was pretty good, right or right off the bat. But it, the 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 portions of it, the elements of it, the tentacles, the car, they didn't mesh perfectly. And and I I was able to vocalize that in a professional way, obviously, um, and play way. And he worked with me, and he and it just came back with what you see. And I think that that that's how it should be: collaboration and and professionalism and and just just everybody working to get the best product mm-hmm. you know that book cover has a movie poster vibe to it it does kind of like a kind of a retro like 50s 60s kind of well probably 60s kind of vibe to it <laughs> I, I could see that you know going to the movie theater and seeing the giant uh, i don't know what the dimensions are but seeing that behind the marquee and it'd be a nice change of pace to <laughs> the posters you see out there well Used to. <laughs> Do you hear that, Hollywood? No, just kidding. <laughs> so, so let's uh, talk about the Lovecraftian elements in this book because they're there. They're a little—I don't want to say subdued. They're just different. You know, this isn't a doom and gloom. It's not uh, a detective or an amateur professor or whatever that uncovers a diary and reads it and goes insane at the end. You know, there's no you know, witch in the corner playing with dimensions and stuff. I mean, this is uh, sort of like uh, the movie Midsummer. It's very sunny. It's very bright. Mm-hmm. And there just happens to be giant tentacle kaiju monsters in the mountains around it. So it, it is Lovecraftian, but it's a different type of Lovecraftian. And I was hoping you kind of comment a bit on that. Yeah. Uh, so is this Lovecraftian? Yes and no. As you, as you know, it's not Lovecraftian in atmosphere or, or, or themes. It does have some elements, as you said. Uh, was I setting out to do it that way? Yes. <laughs> Would I have liked to have seen probably more Lovecraft in it? Yes. <laughs> uh, but I think my, my dream, like I, I, was, I was describing, was more almost like a, a Dagon. Or, or did I say that right? I don't want to offend any Lovecraftian fans out there. <laughs> I believe the story is called Dagon. <laughs> that is one of my favorites. And, and that's kind of how I felt in my dream, that kind of like immense, unknowable danger rising out of the depths and just instilling me with this awe-inspiring fear and, and terror. Um, that's not where I went with the book. <laughs> but... I did. I, I'm trying to find a Lovecraftian story I could could remotely quit it to, <laughs> but I can't. So, uh, okay, there's an elder god in it. That's about it. <laughs> well, you did a nice job there, Jason. Actually, uh, with the Dagon, because uh, one of my notes uh, as reading through it was the fact that you know Lovecraft often has, you know, uh, Innsmouth is set near water. Um, water is important. There's a mysterious element to it in this story. So I think whether, you know, it purposeful or just kind of, you know, a kismet uh, serendipity happenstance, uh, I thought your description of the water and the way it kind of drew Seb in was very nicely done. Actually, I think I can parallel it to Lovecraft in the same way that Reanimator parallels to Lovecraft. <laughs> now, you know, I, I still, I'm still going to say it's a Lovecraftian story. I mean, I'm, I'm all about blending genres and testing the boundaries of those genres. When I did my Sword and Sandal book, you know, one of the essays that was submitted to me in my book was on. Um, Jupiter Ascending and Tron. And I'm like, these movies are not sword and sandal uh, movies at all. But as I spoke to the author of it and saw what he was doing, he's saying, you know, 
well, you know, back in the day, you know, yeah, you'd have a, a sword and sandal film, but then you'd have like a pirate film and, uh, you know, a crossover with uh, Hercules coming to New York and stuff. So you have these kind of, you know, the edges of the genre where they become more eroded into something else. And I, I, once that kind of clicked with me, I actually found that's actually more fun to embrace that stuff instead of having the hard divides of this is distinctly Lovecraftian. You know, you have to have the detective and people going insane and fish monsters and inherent racism, <laughs> all this other bad stuff. Do something completely new with it. And I, I, I'm going to stand by, I think Eight Cylinders is, yeah, first and foremost, it's, it's a pursuit book. But I'd say second most it is a lovecraft book it's just done in a different way uh, different from the rest and i think it's successful at that mm -hmm. so on the subject of films um eight cylinder to me is a very cinematic book it looks to draw consciously or unconsciously from some other films definitely picked up a tremors vibe fast and the furious mad max so did want to ask for your official uh, stance what films did you draw from for this book well, uh, this is probably going to get me shot by horror fans as well. I have actually never seen all of Tremors. So what you what you described at the end where he's racing out, I did not know that happened in Tremors. I do know Tremors has Kevin Bacon and these giant kind of sandworms, almost Dune-ish feel. And I think I've seen the third or fourth Tremors uh, with Stephen P. Keaton from Family Ties <laughs> fighting these little kind of munchy monsters. <laughs> <laughs> That uh, I, I'm like, how do those relate to the worms? I don't know, because <laughs> I think they had feet. But <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I, but the vibe of Trevor's is definitely uh, something I was going for. That's for sure. Fast and Furious. I've only seen Tokyo Drift, which was terrible. Uh, the third one, I guess that's not a good representation of the series, so maybe I should give it a better try. But uh, <laughs> some of the other films that you mentioned, uh, I, I would say I, I draw from Carpenter, Corman, Craven, all the other C's of the 80s. Uh, that, uh, um, Hills Have Eyes um, for the setting, probably. Um, uh, yeah, but uh, Carpenter for Snake Blitzkin, as we mentioned earlier, for maybe my lead character. Um, definitely, definitely the Carpenter vibes, the, the big action, big kind of hard comedy, they live kind of movie. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, well, I've been <laughs> chomping at the bit since I read the book because I really, um, because I think I read in your interview with Crystal Lake that you're hoping that one of your books gets made into a movie. And of course, this would be a fantastic one. So this is a what if question. If you had the right to cast uh, actors for your characters, who would be your dream cast? I have thought about Seb. Um, Idris Elbow would probably be my favorite, but he is getting up for up there in age now so i don't know how much longer we have to cast them uh maybe sterling brown from uh shows like this is us and uh the oj simpson kind of show uh he's he's fantastic except the one kind of horror movie i saw him in the predator or the predators or whatever I, it was terrible <laughs> so uh <laughs> but I, I i still think he's fantastic and everything else so i would definitely like to see him but the, the rest of the cast uh me <laughs> put me in there somewhere i i'm, I'm not sure I'm i would like somebody really sleazy slimy greasy for a slide but i can't really i can't really think of who <laughs> at this time oh my gosh i i immediately thought of the the guy from pirates of the caribbean one of the the two comical guys the tall skinny guy that looks like he's strung out um, you know who'd make a good sub? Equilibrium era Tay Diggs. Mm, yeah. I, uh, yeah. I follow Tay Diggs on, on, uh, on Twitter and, and I'm proud to say he follows me back. Oh, wow. that is <laughs> so cool. Jelly. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so, uh, slide, so find a way to slide this book into his uh, <laughs> DM. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm, I, I will put you on the spot. Did you think at all about I who you would you have uh, play Helen? You, you know, I didn't think of that until you were talking about 
the mist on your podcast and that kind of crazy preacher lady. Yeah. Talking about, I think she would be a good Helen. The poor queen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, not, not that she was like Helen in those movies, but uh, that's kind of, she had the shaved head. She had a good look for Helen, I think in this. Mm-hmm. So on the subject of Seb and, continuing adventures is are we going to see seb again i mean you the book is aligned without giving too much away that there could be further adventures mm-hmm. well i i didn't intend to but <laughs> if it's successful and people want to <laughs> i would love to write another story like this um i mean depending on how you view the the book there are 10 circles of hell uh, is this purgatory or hell? <laughs> Are there worse places to get to? Can you have an Ash type original Evil Dead two ending where he ends up in the uh, the apocalyptic world at the end kind of thing? Can he get out? Can he get out? Is that a question? Um, and and still be and actually live a life outside of this realm in a re- in a reality world. Um, there's a lot of questions I would love to explore and, and give more details on what I had in mind for Seb's world. Uh, Cause it, I, never once did I want it thought that Seb was in hell, to be honest. Purgatory, yes. That's a much closer <laughs> analysis and, and where, they, the, where things go to die from there might be hell. But um, I, I did. I, I don't want it to be a hopeless situation. I did want to think that there might be some way of escape. But what world would he enter into with all this time, kind of, kind time confusion where he is? Where would he end up if he got out? You know, I'm optimistic. If if Ash can eventually make it back to S Mart, <laughs> Seb can eventually make it back. Yep. To, to run the streets of Las Vegas I, again. Yeah, I don't think he's doomed to a quantum leap ending where he never makes it home. I, I'm optimistic. Yeah, but I just brought the dead eyes with him. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a good ending, though. <laughs> yep. So um, I do have one more question, um, and that is, how did you, how did you come up with the prop with the, the mini uh, Magic 8-Ball? Oh, yes, I will. <laughs> Pardon me. <laughs> I mean, this guy here, I don't know if that shows up on the camera because I can't see me at the moment. But <laughs> uh, No, your, your camera isn't on, so we can't see. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I have a magic eight ball in my hand. <laughs> okay. Uh, All righty. I don't know why I haven't used it to help promote me. <laughs> Should I use you to help promote me? Without a doubt. Oh, that was, I guess I should. There we go. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the uh, I don't know. I, 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 I honestly think it was more of keep, in keeping with the 80s feel <laughs> uh, of the book. Um, when you brought up Last Action Hero in, in your review, that was uh, interesting. I, I didn't think of that. I did think of, of somebody, and, and maybe it was Last Action Hero, that was my, but I was picturing somebody with a, a target or Kind of like a a fake eye that it was quirky kind of bond villainish yeah I, I just wanted to add no you're 100 percent correct the main villain in last action here at one point he does put a a fake eye and that has a target on it yeah i think uh that actor was uh charles dance from alien three who played the doctor i think that was the main villain we'll go with that that sounds about it and my mental image says that's correct yeah, yeah. All right. So, so wrapping up, let's turn our attention to some uh, kind of what's next type questions. So I, I guess uh, eight cylinders aside for folks that want to check out your work, what are some other uh, of your releases that you would recommend as a good gateway to check out, to check out the Jason Parent repertoire? <laughs> if they've read eight cylinders, uh-huh. I would say uh, they feed is a nonstop kind of one night in the woods survival horror that, that that's in the same vein as an eight cylinders. Um, if you like psychological thrillers, uh, seeing, seeing evil is probably my most mainstream commercial book. Uh, it's pretty much 
akin to a dead zone, but with a 14 year old psychic and a female detective kind of working together to thwart uh, this really, really, really awful individual that probably maybe my best villain yet. He's just mm-hmm. awful, but uh, I still hope to make one as good as Carl Ruger and, uh, and Pennywise. <laughs> but, but I, have, I have to live up to that someday. <laughs> but uh, otherwise, um, I don't know. It depends on what you, what you like because I write all over the place. Uh, my most literary work would be probably Rathbone. Um, and my most commercial work would probably be Seeing Evil. And it's, it's um, like a mainstream thriller. What would you say is probably your most underdog work that you're pretty proud of? Unseemly. Uh, it, it, it's, it's probably got my lowest rating, and I love it. It's, <laughs> it seems like uh, it's, it's, it's this, this work that works uh, – this, sorry, I'm just blubbering now. It has this, un, this setting on um, this little Scottish island where um, these folks are kind of investigating a missing member of their group, and – actually that is probably ends up being my most Lovecraftian horror <laughs> that I've ever written. And uh, maybe it's not, maybe I'm not a Lovecraftian guy because it's, it's probably my most underappreciated work out there. <laughs> well, you heard it here, folks. There's some homework that our listeners need to go check out for sure. And, and us too. So <laughs> thank you, Jason. Um, any upcoming projects our audience should watch out for from you? I just, my, I, the last, my, uh, my name would just appeared in the anthology for Campfire Macabre, which was just released by Cemetery Gates Publishing. It's a s- series of about 50 plus stories, um, but I think the cap was 1200 words each, uh, 10 in like spook houses, 10 slasher, 10 in various character categories. Mine was in uh, spook houses and I do kind of a 80s themed amusement park haunted house ride like i don't know if you had them where you are but our, our we used to have these little carts that we used to ride in through a haunted house uh <laughs> at our amusement parks here uh, but other than that no i i i have a few short stories out there and a few novels in the editing process but i probably you probably won't see my name on a book until the end of 2021 early earliest uh, so go read my back catalog <laughs> <laughs> All right. so what's the best way our listeners can stay abreast of these projects that are coming out uh, i'm on twitter facebook uh, instagram and i have my website authorjasonparent.com where uh, i'm very active well I'm as active as an introvert can be on those things. So <laughs> I, I try, I try to mention my books and try not to just mention only my books, but um, Facebook probably is the best place to see the real me. Well, any uh, final words or uh, things that you want to end with? Uh, just uh, a thank you. A sincere thank you for having me uh, on your podcast and, and not only in the interview, but the, the very critical review you guys gave. Again, very helpful to me to hear things like that. Good, bad, ugly. Uh, That's what I need to hear to be a better writer. So I very much appreciate it. And I appreciate your time. Well, we sincerely appreciate you uh, getting on a Zoom and talking with us today. Yes, thank you very much, Jason. And looking forward to one, reading uh, some of your back catalog of books. They sound really fascinating. Um, Anxious to dive into some of your other work. And also looking forward to what you have coming up. And obviously, thank you so much for your time, uh, for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure to actually speak with you. Thank you to Jason Parent for sharing his insight on his new novella, Eight Cylinders, as well as his personal writer's journey. We wish him much success on this novella and all his upcoming projects this year. And for upcoming events, first for Scholars from the Edge of Time, We'll have a new episode of Scholars from the Edge of Time streaming on Thursday, January 28th at 6 p.m. PST and available for download afterwards. Our guest will be S. Alessandro Martinez, whose debut uh, novel, Helminth, has been released this month from publisher Omnium Gatherum. 
For HP Lovecast, episode 36, we'll be discussing two short stories from Cthulhu Deep Down Under Volume 2, a collection edited by Steve Poprosh, Christopher Sequera, and Bryce Stevens, published by IFWG Publishing International, and part of a dark phase title, these stories feature an assortment of the finest Australian dark fiction from authors such as Lee Murray, Robert Hood, Sylvia Brown, and Kirsten McDermott. This episode will post Sunday, February 7th. For HP Lovecast Presents Fragments, on episode 7, we'll continue our exploration of Cthulhu Deep Down Under by interviewing Lee Murray, New Zealand's most awarded writer-editor of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. She's the author of the Tane McKenna speculative speculative thriller series and a co-author of the Crime of Noir uh, Path of Raw series with Dan Roberts. We'll discuss her short story in this collection, as well as the new Black Crane Anthology, and her own collection, Grotesque Monster Stories, which includes a Tane McKenna story. Lee has been a guest on our Scholars from the Edge of Time uh, podcast as well, along with Dan, so we'll have links to those podcasts in the show notes. And this episode will debut on February 21st. HP Lovecast is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our website is hplovecast.com, and of course you can also email us at hplovecast at gmail.com. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us by purchasing our books. We each have Amazon author pages with links to all the books we have either edited or contributed to with individual essay chapters. Links are also in the show notes. As always, thank you for listening. We'll be right back.